probably for the first time, really in my adult life, perhaps really my lifetime, the gap between the parties on kind of key economic issues is actually pretty substantial. My name is Kirsty Styles, and I'm here with James Meadway, who's a senior economist here at the New Economics Foundation for the weekly economic podcast. It's election season, and this week we are looking at the two main parties' policies on the economy released last week in their manifestos. The next five years are about turning the good news in our economy into a good life for you and your family. Everything in this manifesto is funded. The deficit will be cut every year. The books will be balanced and the national debt will be falling. None of us can afford the £100 billion on new nuclear weapons. I believe what we've done with this document is to set a new gold standard for how manifestos in this country should be produced. All of these things will actually be fully spelt out in our fully costed manifesto. Make sure that we don't borrow too much on the one hand or cut too much on the other. Austerity is not inevitable, it's a choice. So last week, James, uh, was a pretty crazy one at Politics HQ. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what's been going on? Sure. Well, what's happened is is all the parties have uh, launched their manifestos. This is the list of things they would want to do if elected. And what's striking about this is that even with the two main parties, but if you look wider than that into the Greens and UKIP and Plaid Cymru and the SNP and everyone, the gap between what people are saying is really quite significant, particularly on the issue of the economy. So the two main parties are both still committed to austerity, a word that was actually Googled uh, most out of all search terms during the TV debates, something that you talk about a lot as well. Uh, can you explain what austerity is and actually make sure that people never have to Google this ever again? Well, it can be explained quite simply. When we've lived uh, through this in the last five years, it's basically a programme of mostly spending cuts and maybe one or two tax increases with the idea that you're going to shrink the amount that the government has to borrow at any point in time uh, with the aim, actually, uh, originally when this uh, coalition government was formed, of shrinking that amount of borrowing. This is the fiscal deficit down to zero by this year. So austerity is something that, um, I mean, you deal with every day and something that we've talked about before. Why do you think that people now are coming uh, and, and actually trying to work out what this uh, phrase really means? Well, I think it's it's partly because it's not a, it's not a very good word. It sounds a bit sort of academic and a bit unpleasant. It has started to be more talked about than it would have been even just a few months ago. And I think that's the impact of uh, particularly smaller parties coming into the debate and kind of forcing the thing openly. If you had a broad consensus between the main parties on the need for austerity, you don't really end up naming what you're doing. It's just kind of what you do. Once you force a debate open, once you have people identifying themselves as being opposed to austerity, that's when suddenly this is a word that means something and becomes politically important and necessary to talk about it. And that's, uh, I suspect, why it's suddenly become this word that people are searching for in the middle of the leaders' debate. Um, and you already mentioned a, a wider gap on economic policy between the, the main parties. What is it that really separates them? Well, the issue here is, is that, firstly, they, they both agree on austerity. They both think there is a need to shrink the, the fiscal deficit. So that's a gap between what the government gets in taxes and what it spends on everything it spends money on. Uh, they think there's a need to shrink that gap to reduce the amount of borrowing, but they disagree on by how much that borrowing should be reduced. And, and the disagreement is significant. So depending on how you kind of play out the figures and look at what they've said about what they want to do over the next five years, it looks like the Conservatives want to 
cuts of about uh, £33 billion to spending. It looks like Labour could be as low as about £7 billion, but there's a bit of uncertainty there because there's a slight vagueness uh, amongst all the manifestos really about where these cuts will lie and what precisely uh, target uh, the, the party's going to go for. For the first time I can remember, the the uh, demand for a costed manifesto is something that, that keeps going on again and again. Is that is that really important? Well, it could be. I mean, part, part of the issue here is if you're going to say, you know, we want to spend money on, for example, another £8 billion for, for the NHS, which the Conservatives have floated this week, or you want to say we want to build, you know, um, 500,000 new council houses, which is the Greens' proposal, you do sort of need to give some indication as to how you might pay for it. These things all cost money. Uh, and you can't realistically just say, oh, well, we'll kind of borrow a bit more and hope for the best on that basis. So that's where the demand for, for costing comes in. Of course, if you're if you're presenting claims like this, if you get elected and you say you want to do these things, that's why you have civil servants and everybody else trying to run around to work out how you might make these things happen. So you don't need to be completely precise. Uh, I think in general, the demand for costing is too often used as an insistence that government can't really do anything because everything has to be bolted down to the, to the nth degree. You don't really need that in a manifesto. We know very well the government's going to end up being a coalition. That's the most likely thing that's going to happen out of this. No one's going to get all of their manifesto through. Everything's going to be open to negotiation. So really, you want to say what kind of society, what vision for society you want, what kind of broad proposals you might want, and then get to the details of how you pay for it later. So I think a bit like costing, fiscal responsibility has become this kind of demand from uh, from one party to the next, um, and, and actually a reason for austerity. Um, is austerity fiscally responsible? Well, I'd say no, not at all. I mean, the, the, the presentation here from both Conservative and Labour, the two main parties, is that they are being terribly uh, serious and fiscally responsible by saying we will reduce the amount that government is borrowing. Now, the problem with that, and it's a significant problem with that, is that if government is reducing its own borrowing, if it is cutting its spending through an austerity programme, that implies there's less spending taking place in the economy. And that means that if you want to keep economic activity going, if you want people to still be earning money and having jobs and all the rest of it, someone else has to replace that spending. That's what you need to do. And that someone else ends up being basically the rest of us. Now, we aren't earning lots of money. Real wages are down 2% since 2010. That means we end up borrowing money to keep spending going. So the government shrinks its borrowing, but everybody else has to borrow more as a result. That isn't fiscally responsible. If you're reducing government borrowing, but households are having to borrow more, they're at risk uh, by taking on loads of extra debt. And of course, there's a risk there of eventually creating the conditions that led to the crash last time round, which was precisely about far too much private sector borrowing. Ah, oh, that, that bloody crash. Coming back to Haunters. So, uh, coming back to the two main parties um, and the two different approaches that you've identified, how do you reckon uh, that those different approaches would um, impact the economy should either of the two be able to form a government? Well, there's obviously a huge amount of uncertainty attached to this. Um, what you would say is, that, look, the gap's about £26 billion, let's say. There will be some degree of variation on that uh, if they are able to stick to what appear to be their, their spending plans and their plans for cuts. That's that's significant. You can do a lot with £26 billion. Uh, so that would come down to like where the cut's going to land, uh, who's going to be affected by them. Part of the issue here, of course, is as uh, I think the Office for Budget Responsibility, the, the official forecasters have indicated, is that essentially over the last five years, you've had the government going for the low-hanging fruit. So they've gone for the easiest things to cut. They've gone for the ones that they reckon they can get away with making a cut here, and it's not going to cause too much protest. Once you've got all the low-hanging fruit, you have to go more seriously into government spending if you're still looking to make cuts. So that's where political protests and things start to intervene.
being. That's where it becomes politically difficult to start to impose cuts on this scale. And I think what you're also seeing, you saw it in, in the uh, the kind of opposition debates this week, is that increasingly, I think, people are disenchanted with austerity already, that you saw three parties on the platform there, uh, the Greens, Plaid, SNP, all saying that they would be opposed to austerity, all saying that they weren't going to uh, try and look for cuts in this way, that it wasn't fiscally responsible to behave like this. So it feels like a very exciting time to to be involved with all this. Uh, and um, thankfully, you're back from uh, from Bulgaria with your lovely suntan. Uh, and we've got plenty, uh, well, at least three more weeks to go of this kind of stuff. So thank you very much, James. Uh, plenty more to come. Thank you. Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is provided by Poddington Bear. Not one to brag, but we've been listed as one of iTunes' new and noteworthy podcasts. So check us out, download, share and review. We'll be back at the same time next week.